Well, uh, as I said, I just want to uh, praise God for the opportunity to uh, be together with you men, and uh, these uh, retreats are a little bit like a family reunion for me, uh, even though Baltimore isn't that far away from uh, Columbia, Maryland, and Hope Bible Church, we're far enough away from one another that we don't often run in the same circles, uh, so, so uh, it's great to see some of the faces that I haven't seen for a while, and, uh, and then over the years, Hope Bible Church has also grown so that I don't even recognize all of the faces uh, uh, that we have uh, here within the, uh, uh, within the retreat, and I get to meet some new faces that I haven't seen at all, but uh, we're still family, uh, and it's still like going to a family reunion because, uh, you know, for, for those of you who are familiar with family reunions, you know, you get introduced to that cousin uh, that, uh, that you never met before, and uh, I used to go to uh, family reunions with my dad in North Carolina, and, you know, my dad would try to explain to me how I'm related to somebody else, and it's like, you know, this is your, your grandmother's brother's daughter's son, and it's just like, oh, you're just related, just, you know, just get together, you know, y'all related, so... Uh, we're all related in here. We're all family. We're all part of the same uh, family of God. And uh, even though I haven't had the chance uh, to meet all of you yet, I just want to let you know that uh, we're all related. We're all brothers in uh, Jesus Christ. And uh, as I was reflecting uh, this morning on uh, Hope Bible Church's uh, retreats, I, I was uh, reminded of uh, one of the first retreats that we had. It might have been the first retreat uh, that we had years ago at uh, Skycroft Retreat Center. And uh, I still remember, I don't know, there's maybe like 20 to 30 of us at the most. It was probably, probably in, the, in the 20 range, but uh, I remember uh, uh, one of the memories from that retreat was uh, uh, Pastor Plumley. Uh, he gave this message on fatherhood, and uh, the weight of conviction of uh, being a, a new dad was just kind of resting on top of my shoulders, uh, and then he pl- had the nerve to play this song after he finished this message, that which, which was already convicting enough, and then he played this song about the, the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. <laughs> The little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. And uh, it was a song about how a dad never made time for a son. And uh, then when his son grew up, he never made time for his dad. And his dad realized that his son had grown up to be just like him. And uh, I remember one by one, you know, just kind of looking around the room. You know, guys started sniffing. Before you know it, there's like a tear coming down, and, and then like the whole entire room, everybody was like, oh, Lord, you know, <laughs> what a worm I am, but uh, those are some, uh, some great memories from, uh, from back in the day. <laughs> it was great. I have a lot of memories from uh, Hope Bible Church, and uh, I know that you know this, but in, in so many ways, I'm a product of uh, Hope Bible Church and uh, the ministry of Pastor uh, Tom Leak, and uh, uh, you need to know that we're standing with you in prayer, in support. If there's anything that we can do as a, as a church, uh, we definitely want to do all that we can to, to support you uh, during this time. So uh, I just want to let you know that. And uh, this morning, I'm going to follow the trajectory that was set for us uh, last night. Uh, so why don't we open up our Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And the trajectory that was set for us last night is to stay as far away from the theme verse as possible. <laughs> when, the, when the retreat speakers started emailing one another about, you know, how are we all going to preach on the same verse, four messages on the same verse, it became apparent pretty quickly that the best way to do that was to stay clear of that verse so that we don't run on top of each other. So my message uh, this morning will be about standing firm in the faith as disciples of Jesus Christ. So uh, flip over to Matthew chapter 
16, Matthew chapter 16. And as you're, uh, as you're turning there, I just want to set the context for you. Uh, Matthew chapter 16 is a turning point in the gospel of, of Matthew. In Matthew 16, Peter makes that great confession that changes everything, that Jesus Christ is the, the son of the, the living God. He's the Christ, the son of the living God. And prior to that confession that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus spoke about his death in ways that were veiled, ways that were difficult to understand. But right after Peter's confession that Jesus was the Christ, Jesus starts to speak plainly about his future. Now all that they know about who Jesus is is starting to to come together. And once they know who Jesus is, he's finally able to tell them what he's come to do. And the cross was Jesus's destiny. The cross was Jesus's destiny. That's sad news for the disciples. In fact, it was uh, so unexpected for the disciples to hear that Jesus was going to the cross that Jesus actually put a gag order on the disciples, that they couldn't share that Jesus was the Christ because they didn't fully understand what his mission was. In the disciples' minds, the Messiah came to conquer, the Messiah came to crush, the Messiah did not come to be crushed. So in verse 20 of Matthew chapter 16, Jesus tells the disciples, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody that I'm the Christ. It was unexpected, an unexpected restriction. They received this news, and now they're told that they can't share it with anybody. In verse 20, it says, Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. He couldn't send the disciples off with the message at this point because they had the wrong understanding about what his mission was. His plan wasn't Roman conquest. His plan was Roman crucifixion. And the unexpected revelation in verse 21 was that his destiny was, was death. From that time, in verse 21, it says, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Unexpected. Unexpected restriction and unexpected revelation, which really didn't make any sense to the disciples that Jesus was going to die. And and really, it shouldn't make much sense to us either outside of the context of, of Scripture. I mean, if this is the Messiah, this is the King, this is the Son of God, the Christ, the expected one, it's beneath the dignity of the Messiah to come and die. But it's true, he came to give his life, and Jesus said that it must happen this way. It was necessary for Jesus to to come and die. It was the predetermined plan of the Father, the determined will of the Son, the prediction of the Old Testament scriptures, and the only way that we could ever be saved. It had to be this way. But this was a lot more than the disciples could, could handle at this point. And Peter speaks up for the rest of the disciples when he said, this shall never happen. And here he has the unexpected rebuke of Jesus Christ. In verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Any, any, any statement that starts out by telling the Lord this shall never happen, it's not going to end well, right? <laughs> this is never going to happen. No, Lord. And at this point, Peter is standing in direct opposition to the purposes of God. Peter goes from being the rock to being the stumbling block, all in the same conversation. <laughs> He goes from being a blessing to being a hindrance, from being the mouthpiece of God to being the mouthpiece of, of Satan. And the Lord has to tell Peter to get back in line, right? Stay in your lane, Peter. Stay in your lane. Verse 23, he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. When, when Peter told the Lord, no, 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 this shall never happen to you, he may not have realized it then, but he was really speaking out of his own interests 
and he was really speaking for Satan at this time. He was saying, Lord, you can't do this because this doesn't serve my interests. This doesn't serve my personal interests. And he says, you're not speaking out of God's interests, but, but man's. You're speaking out of your own selfish interests, Peter. And I want to let you know that satanic attacks are much more common than we think they are. <laughs> if you want to look for the, the work of Satan, you don't have to go into some, uh, some backwoods where some weird cult is doing an animal sacrifice. You know, you say, oh, that's Satan's work, you know? Satan's work is selfish interest. Any interests that are in opposition to the will and to the desire of Jesus Christ. Let's read our passage together and uh, pray for God's help and, and standing firm in, in this way. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, look at verse 24. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for a soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Why don't you bow your heads with me for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, our Lord, as we always do, and Independence upon you, reliance upon you, recognizing that uh, without you that we can do nothing. Now, Father, that we're uh, dependent on you for uh, your grace to open up our understanding, Lord, that we may behold wonderful things from your word. And uh, Father, I pray that you would do the same this morning. Uh, Father, that you would uh, transform us, help us to, to look more like our Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who is our leader. Uh, Father, I pray that we would crucify the selfish desires in, in our own lives and uh, that we would look more like Christ. And Father, I pray that you would uh, use me as a weak instrument to be a blessing to your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How did Peter go from being a, a rock to being a, a stumbling block? There's three main points that I want to uh, point out in this, uh, this passage here, which really talk about our discipleship, our commitment to Jesus Christ, standing firm as those who are followers of him, and, and it's really three simple points, all found in the, the first, first verse that I read in verse 24. As disciples of Jesus Christ, if we wish to come after him, number one, we must deny ourselves. Disciples are to deny themselves, not to serve themselves. We must take up our cross. Disciples are called to sacrifice themselves, not preserve themselves. And number three, if we are going to follow after Christ, we must uh, also abandon ourselves rather than promote ourselves. When we come after Christ, it's not about us anymore. And when you think about this, this call to, to self-denial and picking up our cross and following after Jesus Christ, it all makes perfect sense, you know, when we think about the self-denial and coming to the cross, because if Jesus is on his way to the cross, and I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, then where am I heading? I'm heading to the cross too, right? <laughs> like, that's where he is leading me. I am heading to the cross. And there's a few misconceptions about this verse uh, that I want to try to clear up right up front. Uh, number one, Jesus is not restricting his comments to just these 12 disciples. Uh, there are some people who would say that the application of this passage is uh, restricted to a select few. And, uh, in other words, uh, Jesus would never speak this way to believers in general uh, because uh, language like this is just too demanding. You know, you, you want to make these kinds of demands on people who aren't uh, fully committed, but that's just not the case. He may be speaking to the 12, but the language is purposefully broad 
In verse uh, 24, if you look at it again, it says, if anyone wishes to come after me, right? Anybody. This is true for anybody. It's not just true for the 12. And if you flip over to, to Mark chapter 8, in verse 34, uh, which is a, a record of this same event, a parallel account of these, uh, these same words, lets us know that he intended for more than just his disciples to listen to what he had to say here. Mark chapter 8, look at verse uh, 34. It says, And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He summoned the crowd together with his disciples, and he gave them the same message. The same message for the disciples was the same message for the crowds. It had application for anybody, not just those who are considered the fully committed disciples. You know, there's this idea that, you know, there's this kind of second level of discipleship. You know, uh, in other words, if you, just want the, if you just want the basic model of Christianity, you know, you don't have to worry about all that self-denial and taking up your cross and following after me business, you know. All you have to do is believe in the facts about who I am and there's no strings attached. You know, I won't make any demands on your life. You know, but if you want the, the model of super Christianity that's the upgraded version, you know, where you get all the bells and whistles, you know, well, well that'll cost you. <laughs> you know, if you want all the bells and whistles, that'll cost you. You know, if you're willing to deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow after me, you know, then you can have the tricked out version of Christianity, the tricked out model, you know. So you can be the buck private without any commitment, or you can be part of SEAL Team 6 if you're willing to deny yourself and pick up your cross. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. What, what, what Jesus is saying is, is anybody who comes after me, this is, this is the commitment. This is the sacrifice. Look at verse 25. It says, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Verse 26, it says that those who come after Jesus are those who save their souls in verse 26. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and does what? forfeits his soul. If you want to save your soul, this is the path. Verse 28, it talks about those who, who, uh, who enter into the, the glory of the, the kingdom. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So basically, if you want to find life, if you don't want to forfeit your soul, and if you want to experience the coming of the, the Son of Man in his kingdom, the only way that you're going to do that is that you pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow after Christ. There's no other way. All believers are called to deny ourselves. And also, another thing that I want to clear up is that Jesus is not adding works to salvation. You know, when he calls on us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, you know, some people think that adding these demands is, uh, is really adding human effort and work to the, uh, uh, to, to, to the, to the finished work of, of the cross and salvation. Uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 5 says, uh, To the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, we all know that. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, it says, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith and not by the works of the law. So, so what people argue is that, you know, if you, if you ask for self-denial and picking up a cross... You know, that's adding works to salvation. But that's really a wrong way to understand this commitment to, to Jesus Christ. What, what Jesus is reminding these disciples of is that when they came to faith in Jesus Christ, that this is the commitment that they also made when they joined. You understand that? So, so like uh, during World War II, for instance, uh, there was this popular advertising slogan uh, for the Navy that said, join the Navy and see the world. 
but you, you might want to read the fine print on that one, right? <laughs> Join the Navy and see the world. It, it might be at the other end of a barrel of a gun, right? Cruise around the world under enemy fire. Jesus doesn't make a squint to read the fine print. You know, when he says, come and follow me, he, he lays it all out on the line. This is, this is what that looks like. When you come to follow me, this is, this is what that entails. Flip over to, to Luke chapter 14 real quick, just so we can expand this a little bit. Luke chapter 14. Look at verse 25. This is a similar statement to what Jesus makes to the crowds here. Again, Luke chapter 14, verse 25. It says, Now large crowds were going along with them, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers... And sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Is Jesus teaching a, a new method of salvation? The answer is no. <laughs> what, what he's doing is he's, he's, he's putting the, 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 the terms of the agreement all out in front. He's putting it in, in bold, large font, all caps, underline, highlight. Like, like, this is what it looks like to follow me. You can't miss this. Coming to Jesus means that you will make decisions that make it seem like you hate your family. <laughs> make it seem like you hate your family. Last night we heard about you know, being the, the watchman on the wall and telling people that they'll die in their sins unless they come to Jesus Christ. Telling somebody that they're on their way to hell. And I remember I've had conversations with, with family members about the, the gospel, and you would have thought that I slapped them in the face. <laughs> you know, that's offensive to me. How, how dare you tell me that I'm, I'm, I'm on my way to hell? How dare you make it seem like you, like you hate them when what you're actually doing is the most loving thing that you could ever do? <laughs> Jesus says that following me, you will make decisions that make it seem like you hate your family. Jesus says, coming after me, you'll be called on to make decisions that'll make it seem like you hate yourself. You know, why would you deny yourself pleasure, right? If it feels good, what? Do it. If it feels good, do it. Why would you sacrifice your desires for the sake of another? You know, you only live once. You know, it's your thing. Do what, you, do what you're going to do, right? Do what you want to do. Live your life. And why place yourself in, in harm's way to give a message that people don't really want to hear in the first place? Like, why do that? Because I don't belong to myself anymore, right? I make decisions that make it seem like I even hate myself. You know, I'm sacrificing my own desires, longings, things that I might have aspired to because I, I don't belong to myself anymore. I've, I've signed up. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I've got to lay those things aside. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Even what you have doesn't belong to you anymore, right? Coming to Jesus means that he takes priority over your possessions. So then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. What does that mean? 
Does, it, does that mean that we're just destitute? You know, as soon as you become a Christian, just empty your house and sell it. <laughs> Give everything away and live on. I mean, that's not what it's called to do. That's not what you're called to do as a Christian. But, but what it means is that you no longer have exclusive rights to your own stuff. <laughs> your stuff is not your stuff. <laughs> it doesn't belong to you anymore. You know, it's all part of the kingdom now. You know, that house, that's the kingdom's. That car, that belongs to the kingdom. Everything in your house belongs to the kingdom now. You signed up. You're free to join, but now you belong to the country. You belong to the kingdom. You don't wear your own clothes. You don't keep your own hairstyle. You don't play in your own day. You know, you go into the army and they, they give you the buzz. Why? They're saying, I own your hair. <laughs> that head is mine. You know, I'll do what I want to do with it. I don't have, a, have the opportunity to, you know, be stylish and, you know, make a statement. You know, this is your statement. You belong to me. And Jesus didn't peddle the gospel like so many pastors do today. You know, there was that, that church that some of you might have heard about in Columbia, Maryland, that gave away five free cars to boost attendance. Some of you might have heard about that church. <laughs> A Washington Post article actually talked about that. It said one of the people in attendance on that day that they're giving away the free cars, they said, uh, this is what they reported as saying, they said, it's a stretch, but I mean, if that's what it takes nowadays... In the new age, you've got to come up with some kind of gimmick or incentive or whatever. Another said, who doesn't need a new car? Different people have different things that bring them to Christ. It doesn't always have to be traditional methods. You know, why not give out free cars? It sure brings people in the doors. But what would it be like if the pastor said, uh, we're inviting you to come to Jesus today, and we're asking you to give up your car? <laughs> we're asking you to give up your car. That, that might not help with attendance, but it would be a lot more accurate, right? That when you, when you come to Jesus, you give up your possessions. That car that you drove in here today with, that no longer belongs to you. If you give your life to Jesus Christ, everything belongs to him. Everything belongs to him. Because those who come to Christ are laying everything down. Jesus didn't sugarcoat the message. Matthew 8, chapter, in Matthew chapter 8, and verse 19, it says, Then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You still want to join? <laughs> still want to join? Matthew chapter 8, verse 21, it says, another of the disciples came to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. And if you remember the context there, it's not that his father was dead, because if your father is dead, you would have been there, right? <laughs> you know, what, what are you doing if, uh, if your dad is dead and you're walking around out here? It's like if, if the father actually died, he would have been there. Well, the father didn't die yet. He's waiting for the father to die so that he can get the inheritance. So he says, hey, Lord, I want to follow you, but you know, at least let me get that inheritance first. You know, this other guy just found out that he doesn't even have a hole to lay in. You know, let me at least get the inheritance. Jesus responded to him, and he says, let the dead bury their dead. You still want to join? Still want to sign up? Matthew 19, there's the rich young ruler who came to Jesus to ask him about eternal life. And Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. You still want to join? And it said that the young man heard this statement. He went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. Like, I, I've got too much to give up. Like I said, Jesus isn't offering salvation by works, but he is requiring a commitment to himself. He's requiring a commitment. So what do we have to do? We need to deny ourselves. Deny yourself. It's a word that means to refuse to associate with. Refuse to associate with yourself. 
It's the same word that uh, Jesus used of, of Peter when, in Matthew uh, chapter 26, when uh, Peter said, uh, when Jesus said about Peter, he says, you'll, uh, truly I say to you that this very night before the rooster crows, you will do what? You'll deny me. Three times you're going to deny me. You're going to refuse to associate yourself with me. And on that night, Peter refused to acknowledge any association with Jesus Christ. I don't know the man. And Jesus says, this is what you're supposed to do for yourself. Basically, you're supposed to say about yourself, like, I don't, I don't know that guy. I, I, I want nothing to do with that guy. I don't want to associate with who I was. That person, he's dead to me. Like, that's what Christ is calling you to do when you come to him in salvation. I want nothing to do with that man. You have so many people, you know, who live this life like, you know, I just got to be me. You know, just trying to be me. I'm just trying to do me right now. You ever heard that? Just trying to do me. Jesus says you need to reject you. You need to abandon you. You need to disassociate yourself from yourself. Jesus says it this way in John 12, 25. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. And the question is, have you come to the point where you've made that kind of commitment? I want nothing to do with myself. Some of you remember that point in your life when you came to salvation. I, I remember that point in my life. I just, I just remember just being so convicted about my own sin. Like, I don't want anything to do with myself. <laughs> just convicted about who I was. And that's a requirement for coming to, to Jesus Christ. Deny yourself. Second thing he says is to take up your cross. Verse 24. So it's the, look at that, verse 24 again in Matthew 16. And he says uh, to, to deny ourselves. Anybody who wishes to come after me must deny himself and take up his cross. Take up his cross, that's the second one. The disciples at this point don't have any silly ideas of what it means to, to take up a cross. I've heard people uh, using that idea for, you know, bearing your cross for all kinds of ideas. You know, any kind of challenge or difficulty in life, you know, I, I got my cross to bear, you know. Well, you know, I have to get up and go to work today. That's my, everybody's got to bear their cross, got to go to work today. I was sick this week, but you know, hey, we've got our crosses, got our crosses to bear. Got to go back home and, and talk to my wife. You know, it's date night. Man, I got my cross to bear tonight. <laughs> the disciples don't have any of those kind of silly ideas. Got to bear my cross. What are you talking about? Just, just prior to this time of Christ, during the rule of a, a man by the name of Alexander Janius, who's actually of, of Jewish descent, he ruled over Israel from 103 to 76 B.C. There was a mass crucifixion that took place during his time. This is just before the time of Christ. The story is told about Alexander. It says that he took gruesome revenge on his most diehard opponents. And while he caroused with his concubines, 800 men were hung on crosses as their wives and children were butchered at their feet. And this introduction of mass crucifixion among the Jews had the desired terrifying effect. They knew what a cross was. They saw that. It's estimated that under the Roman rule, perhaps 30,000 people were crucified and hung on a cross. When Jesus talks about the cross, there are pictures all around. Like, like the images are still like, like on their memories, emblazoned on their memories. Like I know exactly what he's talking about when he says the cross. There's nothing fuzzy or unclear about that. The person who come to Christ was coming to pick up his cross. And the person who picked up the cross wasn't coming back. You don't come back from that trip, right? You pick up that cross, you're not coming back. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
And what Jesus is saying is, if you come after me, it takes a cross. It takes a cross. It takes dying to yourself. And church history lets us know that, that many of the disciples faced that end of life literally. Church history tells us that Peter literally went to the cross, forced to watch his wife die before him. One account says that Peter was glad to call her and said to her, my, my dear, remember the Lord, remember the Lord, as she was suffering crucifixion, and then he requested to be crucified upside down because he didn't deserve to be crucified like his Lord. Following Jesus could cost you your life. And when Peter was told that his hands would be stretched out, if you remember, uh, he turns to Jesus and he looks over to another disciple and he says, well, what, what about him? <laughs> remember that? What, what about him, Lord? And Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Like, mind your business, Peter. Like, every, everybody has their own path to walk. You know, you don't get to, to choose your own path for yourself. And then Jesus' last uh, command here is to, to follow me. Follow me. No, no qualifications given. It's not follow me until, or follow me when, or follow me if. It's just follow me. Whatever that means, it's just follow me. It's a call to abandon ourselves to Jesus Christ, whatever that means. Whatever that means. We're still called to follow him. That's a call to, to follow Christ. Do you still want to join? It could cost you everything. But you can't beat the benefits, right? Can't beat the retirement package. <laughs> now, I don't want you to miss this because this is what the, the rest of this passage focuses on. In verse uh, 25, coming after Christ means that you find your life instead of losing your soul, right? For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You will gain your soul if you follow after Christ. You know, if you try to hold on to what you think your life is down here apart from Christ, you're going to lose it all anyway. It's been said that, uh, you know, nothing in this world is certain except death and taxes. But taxes aren't even certain. You can evade that, right? You can't, you can't evade death. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. I love that uh, saying by, by Jim Elliott. You know, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose, Right? But there's many people who make that exchange to try, to try to hold on to what they can't keep anyway. Coming after Christ also means that you gain a profit instead of forfeiting your soul in verse 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? What would you give in exchange for your eternal soul? What would you give even in exchange for your physical life? <laughs> According to, to, to CBS News report, a CBS News report, uh, Jeff Bezos is the, the richest person alive, CEO of, of Amazon, the first person to top $100 billion on the Forbes list of billionaires. His net worth was, was $112 billion at the time of this report. Some of us can't even count that high, right? Let's say Jeff, Jeff Bezos came to you and he said, look, you know, my doctor tells me that I have a defective heart and, uh, you know, my heart's going to stop about this certain time next week. So what I want to do, you know, this is my only chance of survival, you know, what I want to do is I want to switch lives with you for like a week. You know, you can be me, and, but at the end of that week, you know, I get your heart. Like, do we have a deal? <laughs> do we have a deal? I don't know anybody who's taken them up on that offer, right? Hey, just, just give me your heart, and you can be me for a week. And, you know, any, anything that you want in my house is yours. Drive all my cars. You know, this, this, this kind of short period of time, you can live it up. But at the end of that, you know, I get your heart so I can live. Nobody's taken up that kind of deal. 
But people are doing the same thing every day when it comes to their eternal destiny. It's like, hey, live it up for uh, how many years you have? You know, 50, 60, 70, 80 years. Hey, live it up. You can have it. But at the end of that, I get your soul. Like, that is the exchange that people are making. Losing their eternal souls. Forfeiting their souls. And when you forfeit your soul, you lose it forever. Luke chapter chapter 12, if you want to flip over there real quick. Jesus gives a, a parable to remind us that our life is worth much more than our possessions. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse uh, 16. Told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones and there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, You have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. (laughs) Those are two words you never want to hear directed to you from God, right? (laughs) You fool. This very night, your soul will be required of you. Very night. And who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. And there's coming a time when our souls will be required of us, right? And uh, we need to be preparing ourselves now. Do not fear those who can kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, right? I'll warn you who to fear. Fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Whatever you have right now that you consider to be your most valuable possession is not worth losing your eternal soul over. Apostle Paul said, whatever things were gained to me, those I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of Christ Jesus, my Lord. And the, the third thing, coming after Christ, means enjoying the glory of the kingdom instead of the judgment of your soul. In verse 27, he says, for the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom, so that there's a, there's, a, there's a payment at the end, right? Christ is coming back. The Son of Man is coming back. He's going to repay every man according to his deeds. But then there are some of you who are not going to taste death until you see the coming of the, the Son of Man in his, in his kingdom. Just as certain as Jesus was of his death and crucifixion, he was also certain that there was going to be glory to follow. When Jesus hung his head on the cross, it might have looked like the enemies of Christ had the upper hand. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. He was taunted. It was a pathetic scene. Nobody wants to identify with the person on the cross. He was the person to be pitied. But there was nobody who gained more glory than the one who was hanging on the cross. And one day he's going to come in power and great glory. And nobody will be ashamed to identify with the cross on that day, right? (laughs) Nobody's going to be ashamed of the cross. Matthew 25 talks about that time. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, in verse 31... All his angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. He'll be sep- he will separate from them, one from another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And on that day, it won't matter what you gave up, right? Just to know that, that you're inheriting the kingdom of the father. It doesn't matter what you gave up on that day. Possessions, power, pleasure, position, prominence, it doesn't matter what you gave up. Like, it's worth it. So worth it. 
kingdom of heaven is like the, the treasure hidden in the field, which a man goes and he sells all, like it's worth it. So much more than anything else you could have hoped for or dreamed for. And a few days from this point, a few of these disciples would be picked to get just a, just a, just a glimpse, just a taste of that glory that was to come on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's what he means when he talks about some of you will not taste death until you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Some of them would just get a glimpse, a taste of it. But the way to the glory was through the cross, right? The way to the glory is through the cross. And I just want to end with a couple questions for you. Number one, are you avoiding identification with the cross of Jesus Christ? Do you, do you avoid the cross? In this passage, the cross that we bear is, is opposition for the sake of, of Jesus Christ. Are, are you willing to stand up for Jesus Christ no matter what the cost is? Do you think it's safer to avoid the cross and identifying yourself as a Christian because it's going to turn out better for you? As a believer, that's not, not an option. Cross-bearing is the entry level of Christianity, right? Pick up your cross. Like, that's entry level. That's, that's how you get in. That's, that's the, the starting point. You know, you pick up your cross, you identify with the cross of Jesus Christ. Are, are, are you avoiding identification with the cross because you don't want to suffer the, the pain? Don't want to suffer the, the people who, who might mock and ridicule you because of your identification with Jesus Christ? Identify yourself with Jesus Christ. Stand up for Christ. You know, you want to stand firm for the faith, you want to be a man, stand up with Jesus, right? Say, I'm with him. Stand up. And when you come to, to Christ, you're making this commitment to identify yourself with him. In 2 Corinthians 1 verse 5, it says, For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also is our comfort is abundant through Christ. In Romans 8, it says, If we're children, we're heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, we're choosing to suffer with Christ. When we sign up to be a Christian, we're choosing to suffer with Christ. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, it says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. We're choosing to suffer. When we choose to follow Christ, we're choosing to suffer. I love the, the poem by uh, uh, Amy Carmichael. You might have heard it before. Hast thou no scar? No scar? No hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star, but hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archer spent. Lean me against the tree to die and rent. By ravening beast that can pass me, I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound? No scar? Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound, no scar? Are you willing to, to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ? To stand up, to pick up your cross, to follow after him, and to suffer alongside of your Savior? Are you willing to pick up your cross? Are you attempting to, to find your life and profit in this present life? As believers, we, we need to recognize that this isn't our home, right? We're, we're not out here trying to get all that we can get. We're not out here trying, you know, what is it, you know, grab all you can get, you know, can all you get or something like that, and then sit on the can. I forgot what the saying goes, right? It's like, you know, he who dies with the mo most toys wins. Got news for you. He who dies with the most toys is dead, <laughs> right? We're, we're not out here trying to grab all that we can get. John 18, 36, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, right? Philippians 3, 20, for our citizenship is where? It's in heaven, 
from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're eagerly waiting for a Savior. Why would we waste our, our time trying to fight for the best seats on the Titanic? You know, it's, it's going down. <laughs> let, let everybody else have the seats. I want the lifeboat, <laughs> right? I'm getting out of here. Hebrews eleven sixteen says, but as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He has prepared a city for them. Now, the last question I have for you is, are you rejecting the glories of the kingdom to come to satisfy your fleshly appetites on this earth? If you guys remember the, the story of uh, Jacob and Esau back in uh, Genesis 25, it's, it's just a great illustration of uh, what it looks like to reject the, the kingdom for temporary pleasure. Why don't you just turn back there real quick? Genesis chapter 25. You guys know the story. It's the account of uh, twin brothers. Uh, firstborn received the right of the inheritance, which included God's covenant blessing that passed down from Abraham. His name was Esau. There's a day when Esau came in after being in the field, exhausted, after hunting, hungry, and his younger brother Jacob was cooking stew. Genesis chapter 25, verse uh, 29. It says, when, when Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there, for I'm famished. Therefore his name was called Edom, the word that means red. But Jacob said, first sell me your birthright. Esau said, behold, I'm about to die. So of what use then is this birthright to me? And Jacob said, first swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Then over in uh, chapter 27, finally the day came, if you want to flip over there, when their father Isaac was near death, he was about to pass on the covenant blessings down to Jacob instead of Esau. And after he did that, it was too late to undo what had been done. In Genesis 27, Esau pleads with Isaac. Look at verse uh, 36. It says, Then he said, Is he not rightly named Jacob for he has supplanted me these two times? He took away my birthright. Not, not remembering that he gave it up, right? He took away my birthright. And behold, now he has taken away my blessing, and he has said, and he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? But Isaac replied to Esau, behold, I have made him your master and all his relatives I have given to him as servants and with grain and new wine I've sustained him. Now as for you, then what can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing? My father, bless me, even me also, my father. So Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Pathetic. He, he, he traded in the blessing, the covenant blessings of God for a bowl of stew. <laughs> that was the trade. <laughs> you know, we, we should have been reading about Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. You know that, right? Like, that was the order. It should have been Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But we know it. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why? Because Jacob made the better choice. Like, I want the birthright. I want the blessings of God. Forget the stew. Forget all this stuff down here. I want the blessings of God. And that small meal was so important to him at the time that he gave up the covenant blessings of God for it. As believers, that's not the kind of choice that we make, right? As believers, it's like we, we choose the kingdom. I choose Christ. 
I choose to suffer. It doesn't matter what that costs. I choose Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12, 16 says it this way. See to it that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, even though he sought it with tears. As disciples of, of Jesus Christ, we, we make the, the choice for, for Christ, right? We make the choice for Christ. We're the ones who deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow after him. And again, if you want to look for where, where Satan is at work, you don't, you don't have to look for some uh, animal sacrifice and cult and seance. I mean, that's not where the, the work of Satan is. I mean, it's, he's at work there too, but, you know, <laughs> not saying that. But the, the work of, of Satan in our life is when we, when we deny these realities. I don't, I don't want to follow. I don't want to deny. I don't want to pick up a cross. That's the work of Satan. Because you're not setting your mind on God's interests, but your own. And, and men, we struggle with this, don't we? We struggle with this because we're selfish. We're selfish. That's, that's who we are. We're selfish. And it's like, Lord, and like you come before a text like this, and it's just like, Lord, Lord, help me to set my mind on you. How many focus my attention on you? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be tempted, brothers. Tempted to, to serve yourself. You know, your, your wife asks, you know, hey, honey, can you do this for me? And it's like, oh, gosh, really? <laughs> really? Why? Where, where does that come from? I want to serve myself. Actually, you know, what would be better is if you serve me. You know, there's, there's needs for our children. And it's just like, really, again? <laughs> You go to work, you know, boss asks you to do something. It's like, oh, man. At church, you know, you get the, get the privilege to, to serve and, you know, you grumble and complain. I mean, there's like so many ways that this comes out, right? Because we, we're selfish. We're focusing on ourselves. We don't want to deny ourselves. But here what the, the Lord asks us to, to do and what the Lord calls us to do is to, to deny you. <laughs> deny you. Refuse to associate with yourself. Be willing to, to pick up your cross and, and suffer for me and be willing to give up your life. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you, God, and uh, Father, we're uh, grateful for this opportunity that we have as, as men to gather around your word. And um, uh, Father, I pray that you would convict us of our, our sins. Uh, Father, for those uh, ways that, uh, that we still exhibit uh, selfish attitude, uh, those ways that we uh, still exhibit um, a, a desire uh, to, to just seek after our own tr- interests instead of the interest of, of Christ, the interest of, of God, of Scripture. My Father, I pray that you would help us to, to put those things to death in our lives. Uh, Father, I, I thank you, uh, Lord, for uh, the example of, of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that uh, you would help us to, uh, uh, to become more and more uh, like our Savior as we submit ourselves to him. Father, there's uh, so many ways that, uh, that we sin, that we fail, but uh, Father, we're, we're grateful that uh, Christ is the one who's committed himself to us and that he's the one who, uh, who picks us up and uh, that he's the one who's uh, gone uh, ahead of us, Lord, uh, who's given his life up for us uh, so that we might uh, come after him. Uh, Father, I pray that you would uh, uh, glorify yourself uh, through the, the rest of our time together and uh, that all the glory may go to you. In Jesus' name we praise you and give you thanks. Amen.